subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host and editor. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again, now concluding Minoru Kawasaki Month, going into Star Wars Month. Whoa, we're a Turkish yes. Star podcast and we're covering Star Wars? We are, Whoa. yes. May May the Force be, may the fourth be with you. We Does are going to co- even come out on May the 4th? No, none of our episodes come oh. out May the 4th. Oh. We're just Damn. saying May the 4th be with you. Well, does it come out before May the 4th? Uh, no, I don't think oh. so. I, I, oh. So, because we're going back to back to back to back, we're recording this a little early. So, like, we're kind of crazy. We are. I mean, we always were. Yeah, that's true. This will be coming out oh, r- actually the day before. Either the it's, day before it, or the day of. It'll probably... I, I if, get confused if, by time zones. So, for me, it'll come out the third. For hmm. you, it'll come out oh, the fourth. Well, same, same different. Happy May the 4th for people in Australia! Like, we <laughs> rep in our Australia people here. Hell yeah, brother. That's not what Australians would say to their friends. Well, yeah, you know but that. then you'd have to censor me. I'd this is true. Yeah, it'd just be a whole sentence of... <laughs> but yes, we are back at it this month, and we are going to celebrate Star Wars, because that's obviously what a tokusatsu podcast will be talking about. Well, so all yeah, this month, by the Japanese definition, you know. Uh, I mean, this is true. This is very true. So all this month, we're going to be covering the Star Wars movies. We're not going to be. We're, we're going to be covering the main timeline Star Wars movies. So, 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 so are we doing the original trilogy or the sequel trilogy or the prequels? So we have four weeks. So we're going to cover the original trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're going to cover one of the sequels. Oh. And then we're going just, just, to drop it there. Damn. So, I yeah, mean, so... I mean, fair enough. I think most people want to drop it off Force Awakens. Yeah, so... That's not... No, you're wrong. That's not the Star Wars movie we're talking about. What? The Force Awakens is not a real Star Wars movie. We're covering the oh. actual Star Wars movies. But most people don't actually No, 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 no. So what? most people don't actually know the Star Wars movies, so we're gonna be introducing everybody to them. I don't want to reveal all of them. I wanted I want everybody to be surprised throughout the month. Um, but rest assured, these are the actual Star Wars movies. And today we're starting mm. off with the original. A lot of people forgot that this was the first Star Wars movie. Mm. But, but, but before I mean, I mean, we get, yeah, I can't believe they titled George Lucas decided to title a a New Hope Episode Four. Like, what yeah. the hell, man? Yeah, it was it was messed up. So, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, 
let's do, you know, our generic, like, how are you doing, Rex? Because, to be honest, we've been so busy that, like, we we literally, it feels like, like, we we're just so recorded busy. last it's week. It's generic of us saying we're busy. I know, right? <laughs> but, like, in all honesty, like, it's weird because we were recording last week, and maybe it's because we're a day late in this recording, but I honestly, this last week has been such a long, rough week for me. Mm. I don't even, like, it feels like it's been a month since we've talked, so. But I feel like we talked at least at one point between then. I'm be honest, if we Briefly. did, I completely forgot. Uh, well, I don't remember much out of, I think it happened. I see. <laughs> so, Sorry. how how have you been? Like, is, are you good? Like, are oh, you yeah, living? I'm doing good. Yeah, I am alive, I think. <laughs> good. I, think. I mean, good. We'll see after this recording if I survive. Um, I'm, I could have gotten a concussion today almost, so that was fun. Oh! <laughs> I was doing some sparring earlier, and uh, <laughs> I got I got sweeped on, like, so I got, my legs got sweeped, right? I mm-hmm. fell to the ground, hit on my back, right? I get back mm-hmm. up, and then immediately right after, I'm punched in the gut. <laughs> Ew! So that was that, fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Uh, it was a bit hard to breathe for a, for a good minute or so after that, but, you know, got better. Ah, uh, yeah, because you were, I can imagine you were, like, really winded from that. Bro, I was, I was like, shocked. I was surprised from, like, the sweep, because I wasn't expecting it. And then, like, just as soon as you get up, punch to the gut. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's no bueno. <laughs> so, besides almost having a concussion and getting uh, punched in the gut, have... and possibly also almost uh, uh, twisting, you know, uh, dislocating uh, my toe. That was fun. Oh, God. You you need to be more careful. How are you supposed yeah. to podcast with a twisted toe? Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know how anyone could live with an injured toe. Yeah, like, <laughs> God, unbelievable, unacceptable these days. I actually have a few injury stories too, so I I can't oh. wait to share. <laughs> well, at least I'm not actually injured. This is true. Yes, because we care about your safety more than most things. Podcast recordings are obviously above that, but yeah, we, yeah, we do yeah. care. Mm-hmm. That's what they tell me. Yeah. But then they don't pay my medical bills. Oh, wait, it's Australia. I, I don't understand the joke. It, it's funny because Americans pay L. No wait, free health care. Australians yeah. don't. Well, only if you get private health care. Hmm. I don't think I do. But anyways, let's ignore that part. Interesting. I'm learning more about Australia today than I ever have. <laughs> yeah, they don't teach this in school, kids. Listen up. To be fair, I'm Americans... I'm going to tell you these, the, the, the Australian greeting in Australian schools. So first you say... <laughs> and... Very, very informative. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome. So, have you watched any Tokusatsu lately? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, I was I was hoping to watch more um, during this week since I was. I wouldn't say I wasn't busy, but like, I had more a bit more spare time to watch some. But mm-hmm. honestly, I only really got to watch. I got to finish *Common Rider Black* finally. So. Nice. How was that? That was pretty good. Pretty good. So I was just gonna ask. So when you when we recorded *Monster Seafood Wars*, you had just started. Um, now that you've seen all of it, what's your *Common Rider* ranking? I could have sworn I started *Black* before before last week. Well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure you had said you had just really started it. So you had only been a few episodes in. Oh no, that's V three. V three. Oh, that's right. I was that's nearing right. the end of Black. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm, was I'm Black early on in V three. So was Black's ending as solid as as you were hoping? It's it's a it's a solid show. I think. Yeah. It it's the only like major issue I have with Black is that it peaks in its first episode and it never quite reaches that height again. Because the first episode is an absolute banger, like mm-hmm. absolute banger of a Kamen Rider episode. And then like the rest is pretty good. It just never quite reaches that absolute banger level, at least for me. I mean, Shadow Moon gotcha. is pretty cool. He's the, he's like the villain. If you've ever seen like that silver Kamen Rider with the green eyes, that's Shadow Moon. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> And then, uh, fittingly, uh, as soon as I finished Black, you know what I did next? Did you watch uh, Black Sun or Black RX? Uh, I, st- I started my rewatch on Black Sun. Gotcha. Is I it do, as good? I'm thinking of starting Black RX, maybe. But that has Showa writers in it, so I haven't seen all of them. So like, part of me is like, maybe I should wait. Maybe I should wait. Save that. Makes sense. So... Rewatching Black Suns, does it make more sense now? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, the thing with Black Sun uh, was that I knew it was going to make more sense on a rewatch anyways, because the first probably like five or six episodes, was I was still, I was trying to keep track of all, who all the characters were, because, you know, the show is set across two different time span, time periods. There's a plot mm-hmm. in 2022 that's sort of like the main plot, but then there's another plot that's set in 1972, and so like huh. some characters are played by the same actors in that time, some are played by different actors. Like Kamen Rider Black himself is played by Hidetoshi Nishijima in 2022, but he's played by someone else in um, 1972. Whereas Shadow mm-hmm. Moon is played by the same character or uh, same actor in like okay. both, um, and then there's one actor who plays two separate characters as well. Um, so like it's 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 not that hard to keep track of. I just I think it's partly because I also didn't know any of the names of the characters outside of like Kotaro, who's black, and Nobuhiko Shadow Moon uh, gotcha. beforehand. That kind of didn't help i was kind of trying to keep track of who what every character's role is exactly you know 
Gotcha. Now, is Black Sun a sequel or a legacy sequel to it's, it's Black? A, it's, it's, it's a reboot. It's, it's essentially like a remake of sorts. A, a very different remake. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Much more politically charged. I would, I'll say, I think it, that there's like some political elements in the original black in certain episodes. And I think some of those episodes may have inspired black sun, mm-hmm. but it is a very different beast from the original. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. It just sort of takes like the ideas of like certain characters and puts them in a new context, I guess. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm trying to say it without spoiling it for you because I genuinely think you should really watch Black Sun. I I want to. I. It's a I, controversial I, series, more so in Japan, I think, than in the Western fandom. Um, okay. But I think it's definitely worth watching just for how, like, just how much of an interesting take it is. Like even like even if you don't like Black Sun, it's so mm-hmm. different from Black that I think I think that's I think it's really interesting. I'd be curious if Black RX is similar to Black Sun or if Black uh, Sun from what I hear Black Black RX is like honestly, it's more akin to like the Showa Rider shows that came like after 71, but before Black. Because Black was sort of returning to the roots of Kamen Rider. A bit more dark and moody-ish. Still light, but like could still be enjoyed by kids. But it was it had that sort of horror-ish mood to it at points. Without mm-hmm. necessarily being like actually full-on horror. Mm-hmm. So it was more like uh, Kamen Rider V three, Kamen Rider uh, Sky Rider, and stuff like that. Yeah, from what I from what I understand, Black RX is mo- a lot more in line with them, and and they gotcha. appear in the the show writers do appear in Black RX. Gotcha. Whereas in Black, See, it's just Black himself and Shadow Moon. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, my knowledge of Showa Kamen Rider is Showa or is Kamen Rider Kamen Rider V three. <laughs> skip ahead to Skyrider. I only know that because I have a Skyrider uh statue. Black <laughs> Black RX Masked Rider uh Shin Common or Common Rider Shin Prologue Common Rider Zio Common Rider J skip forward to Heisei which is Common Rider Kuga Common Rider Ryuki Common Rider Dragon Knight Common Rider <laughs> It came up, come out. Did, was that like after? I guess it probably that, would have been shortly after Ryuki. Oh, and then Common Rider, uh, 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 the first Common Rider, the next, and then you have Rewa, which is Common Riders Zero One, Common Rider Saber, Revis, and Geats. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the world of Common Rider to me. Yeah. I'm kind of ignorant. I mean, fair enough. Honestly, like. You don't really remember the names of half these shows until you start actually watching them. So. This is true because I used <laughs> to not be able to give you all of the Ultraman stuff. 
Yeah. But now I can sit here and say Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Tara, Ultraman Leo, Ultraman 80, Ultraman yeah. Tiga, Ultraman Dinah, Ultraman Gaia, Ultraman Cosmos, Ultraman Neos, Ultraman... Then it would be Ultra Nexus? Q Dark Fantasy. And then it would be Ultraman Nexus, Ultraman uh, Mebius? Max. Max. Is it Max? Max Ultraman Max. Ultraman Mebius. And then it would be... Uh, Mega Monster Battle Ultra... and the Zero stuff. No. Ultra 7X. Oh, yeah. That, that exists as well. Neo Ultra Q. Mega Monster Battle. Mega Monster Battle Galaxy Legends the movie. Mega Monster Battle Neo. And then it's Ultraman Ginga, Ultraman Ginga S, Ultraman X, X yes. Ultraman Orb, Ultraman Jeed, Ultraman RMB, Ultraman Taiga, Ultraman Z, Ultraman Z. It's spelled Ultraman. Z, but it's pronounced Z. Gotcha. Ultraman Trigger? Yeah. And then... Decker. And then... And Blazer, yes. who, is who is going to be revealed next week. Sweet. And then, of course, you have the, the other stuff, like Heisei Ultra 7, um, Ultraman, yeah. the 1967 compilation film. Ultraman, Ultraman Kids. Ultraman Kids. The Ultra Star Kids Ultraman... Too. Ultraman the Adventure Begins, Ultraman Power, Ultraman Great, Ultra Q the movie, all the movies. But I know it. I know it exists. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. You are, but you just know Ultraman. I, well, I know a little bit. So before we get too far ahead, continue on with have you watched any other tokusatsu? More That's or it? less it. I watched like an episode or two of V Free as well, but you know, I was I was a bit more focused on finishing Black, so Right. And, and right. then and then like Black Sun, I'm like I only started it a few days ago and I'm already like I already only have like two episodes left. <laughs> oh. Mind you, well, it's only isn't a ten it only episode like twelve? Ten. ten episodes. Yeah. But they're but they're still like forty minute episodes each. Oh. <laughs> so but, you know, well, that's then. probably like 20 regular episodes worth. Somewhere around that. Fun, fun. Huh. <laughs> well, I unfortunately haven't had the opportunity to watch oh. really any tokusatsu. Wow. Um, I did. I watched, seven, I watched seven episodes of Ultraman 80. Oh, finally. Finally. Yes, finally. 80. Um, that's it. Uh, I've well, been trying. This is true. Uh, right now, my best friend's living with me. So whenever he's home, he plays Xbox on my TV, which <laughs> means I can't watch movies. And typically he's like, because he's there, I can't watch anything. Mm -hmm. It's not anything he's doing. It's just his presence. So and I, I don't really have anything to stream. A lot of what I need to watch is on disc. Yeah. Um. I I could hook up my di disc player to my laptop, but like I don't really want to. I feel like it's a little weird to sit with headphones on while he's playing his games. So I haven't been watching a lot, and on top of that, I've been working 
Yeah. And because we're sharing your car right now, we got to, he has to drive 40 minutes to his job and we have to carpool and like all of this, just, I have no time there. Um, I've been prepping for all monsters attack. I've been trying to get my card fixed. I've been doing a bunch of stuff. I've been working on my yard as springs here. So I, and I, I've been, I've recently started working on Kaiju ramen extensively. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm proud to say that, uh, the other day while I was waiting to clock in at my full-time job for four hours, I worked on Kaiju ramen prior to that sitting in the office of where I actually work. <laughs> so I've just been so busy. I've been so busy and I, I haven't had any time and it sucks. Mm. So eventually I need to get back into tokusatsu, but I, once I get everything, once I get my life together and everything's like caught up, we'll be good. Yeah. That being said, I am about to shoot my first short film in like about a year. Um, I've still been developing my full length feature film, but I I'm about to film my, my next short film. I just had my co-writer look over the script and he gave his critiques and he, he really liked it. So hopefully it turns out pretty well. Hmm. So wait, well, I guess, yeah, if we're, if we, if we're watching the real star Wars movies, they're not actually tokusatsu. So I guess that makes sense. Well, Actually, yeah, that's that's another movie I can, I can coincidentally rewatched Star Wars: A New Hope. Um, because you know I thought we were going to cover it today. I I so I so I watched the movie Star Wars. Are we not covering that today? Or but see, I don't remember watching Star Wars: A New Hope. What? But that was what yeah. it, it's Star Wars month. I I'm. Right, I, I, I kind of assumed that was written on our schedule. Right, but but oh. we're we're covering the the real Star Wars. It's yeah, like it it's, it's like it, go. It is. It's like real one. No, no, it's like Ghostbusters. Like who who really watches that 1984 movie? If you're <laughs> gonna watch the real Ghostbusters, you're gonna watch the the 1970s TV show with the gorilla. You 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 don't you don't watch the, the Bill Murray movie. Like that's that's crazy. What's right? a Bill Murray movie? Groundhog Day. Ah, that's the original Ghostbusters. Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. That's oh, the real right. Ghostbusters <laughs> movie. That's that. <laughs> hey, and Paul Rudd was in a Ghostbusters movie, so it must be the real Ghostbusters movie, right? Right? It was probably more, you know, it was probably more successful than the most recent Ghostbusters. Actually, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is like one of the biggest bombs yeah, but that like, Marvel's ever didn't, produced. Afterlife didn't do too well either, I don't think. I thought it did good. They, they, I, they greenlit a sequel. They, that is true. That is true. But didn't it disappoint? I, I don't think so. Of, nonetheless. I thought it was solid. It was like Kong Skull Island. It was I like a, it, so. I, I haven't I, either. <laughs> I need to go. <laughs> you thought it was solid. Hasn't seen it. No, no, no. Like I was gonna say, I thought it was like a solid hit, like Skull Island. Oh, like oh. 
it did good. It didn't do amazing, but it didn't it didn't do bad. Yeah, maybe. I'm not an expert on Ghostbusters. I only know a little. Mm-hmm. So, what are we covering, Rex? Like, why are we here? I don't know. You tell me. You made me watch the wrong movie. Did I? Yes. No, no. We are covering the legitimate real Star Wars. Then what is that? So, the story of Star Wars starts back in, like, the Edo era of Japan. Oh, really? I thought it was the Sengoku era. Is it? Yes, it is. Okay, well, there we go. (laughs) See, I... So, it it starts then. You know, it's not really in a galaxy far, far away initially. Like, it started here. It started here. a long, long time ago. It was. It was a long, long time ago in our galaxy Hmm. where a man named Toshiro Mifune existed. And this dude is what began the Star Wars. That Toshiro Mifune guy must be really cool. He's, like, amazing, let me tell you. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. But what movie was he in, if he's so amazing? Maybe I've heard of it. Well... He was in the original Star Wars, directed by Akira Kurosawa. You know, Ooh. obviously, like he he, you have when you have a legendary film director like Akira Kurosawa, obviously it's going to turn a spinoff into a, a major franchise, hmm. like Francis Ford Coppola and The Godfather. Yeah, like this is that. Yeah. So the first Star Wars movie is is not titled Star Wars. It's not titled Star Wars <laughs> Episode Four: A New Hope. It's not titled. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. My life has it's been a lie. T- it's titled The Hidden Fortress. Oh, you know, I did watch that. You did? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, well thank God. Thank God you watched that because, yeah, like, if you didn't be able to cover it. Yeah, because you didn't know that was the original Star Wars movie. No, no, I thought Star Wars was the original Star Wars. No, no, no. You're going to learn so much this this oh, month, that's, that's Rex. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I wonder what the other films are. Well, you'll find out. We're going to we're going to learn so much about the real Star Wars. Hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, today we're covering not a Tokusatsu movie, contrary to what this podcast is actually about. Wow, so we talked about how Star Wars isn't a Tokusatsu film, but then we but then we're not even covering a Tokusatsu film. We're covering the first one that's one. arguably less. Right, but but it's like like The Mysterians is the first in a trilogy of movies. Yeah. So like we when we cover Battle in Outer Space, I mean, it's Still a kaiju sequel. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that made sense. <laughs> it only ha- about half made sense. <laughs> oh. Or like, uh, God, what's, what's a good example here? There is none. This is a bad argument. Okay, well, here, here, here you go. Monster Hunter. It was made in America, but 
Toho did co-produce it, and Sony is a Japanese company, so in a roundabout way, it's Kaiju and Tokusatsu. Okay, but but we've covered just solely American Kaiju movies before, so it's not really Kaiju. But anyway, we're going to cover Akira Kurosawa, and whoever hates us for that can sue us. Yeah. I sue feel him. like Cut I'm going to write... I mean, no, sue, sue Rex. I'll, I I'll send you his address. I, I, I watched this by coincidence. I I swear I was told that it, the film today was Star Wars. It is Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. You, episode 4, A New Hope. No. Well, you lied to me. I didn't lie. You just didn't do your research. I did. I did. You sent me the wrong schedule then. Oh. Well, you have the schedule. We go off of a schedule you made. No. No. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? We literally sit on a phone call and we're like, okay, so this month we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. How does this look? Does this look okay? Maybe we should alter this. Let's move this around. Not real. Not real. It is real. This is how we do it. No. This is a little look into... Listeners, this is how our business calls go. It's a miracle anything ever happens. (laughs) Oh my god. Bitty bitty. Bitty. So... Rex, we are we are contrary to what you might think. We are covering the Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. So, do you alrighty, want to? Alrighty. So, this is technically our first non-Tokusatsu or kaiju or giant monster movie. So, do we? I mean, I've uh, we've explained why we're covering it. This is Star Wars month, but what does Hidden Fortress have to do with Star Wars? Well. Hidden Fortress is <laughs> as Hidden Fortress is perhaps one of, if not the v- biggest source of inspiration for Star Wars, <laughs> as right. stated by the man, the myth, the legend George Lucas himself on a, I believe it was Criterion's D- yes. original DVD release. Yes, back in two thousand one, they interviewed George Lucas and. And yeah, the Hidden Fortress was one of the like most prominent influences for yeah. for this film, particularly with its two, I guess, two leading character, two of the three leading yes. characters being the source of inspiration for C three PO and R two D two, and even um, to some extent the the cinematography and just yeah the, the imagery. Uh, a good example I would give. In in terms for our listeners, if if you haven't watched Hidden Fortress or Star Wars, I I don't know like what your guys's like. If, if you haven't watched Star Wars, then um, that's what are you doing listening you know, to this podcast? Sure, but you've but seen some movies. To wrap it into like Hajun Tokusatsu, so in Return of Ultraman, there is an episode uh, that was written. I, uh, do you remember the episode's title? Um, I don't, I don't I remember wanna say the it's... title. It, it's, I just know it's episode 34. Okay. Because it so comes episode... after the best episode of the entire show. 
No. Uh, Comes after the Marucci episode. I'd have to rewatch it because I love the Twin Tails two-parter. That's my favorite. That's good, but like, oh my god, the episode before this one is a bang. But anyways, anyways. Anyways, so in that episode, episode 34, we have the introduction to Lagoon? Lagon? Lagon? Uh, it wouldn't be Lagon. It'd be something else. I don't. I don't remember its name. I think it's Lagoon. Lagoon. Maybe. So that episode was written by God. I see. I don't research the stuff that I don't think I'm going to talk about, but I end up uh, doing it, it. It, it. Wasn't he? A, let's just say the dentist, because wasn't he a dentist at some point in his yes. life? Yes. Yeah, he was a dentist, and he uh, wrote this into Super Raya, and they picked it. For the the return of Ultraman, Shin Shinichiro Kobayashi did yes. the screenplay for yes. uh, a future film. So he wrote this, and it's a pretty solid episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's fast forward. Fast forward about fifteen years. Toho is running a contest for the next Godzilla movie. Mm. Kobayashi submits his Return of Ultraman episode rewritten into a longer Godzilla story. And with a different monster, and, a more rat-like monster, I believe. I Yes. Um, eventually, uh, uh, Amori and his team in Toho worked the script, and out came Godzilla vs. Biollante. A film with some striking similarities to yes. that episode. Biollante and Lagon, specifically the Biollante final form, mm. Lagon have a lot of similar looks. Oh yeah, um, similar designs. It's obviously took influence from it. There are a ton of shots, specifically of when Biollante's in the lake, mm-hmm. that f- feel like they were ripped right out of the Return of Ultraman episode. There are similar characters. Um, similar I mean, themes. the story. Yeah, the story kind of. If you took Godzilla out, Biollante and this episode 34 of Return of Ultraman follow beat for beat. Mm-hmm. And I bring all this up because that is kind of what Hidden Fortress is to Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Even the ending, granted it's not the same, but the ending has a similar, like, the cinematography is similar and the your, your whole cast is at this mm-hmm. final conclusion. Granted it's... Oh, the, yeah. Hidden Fortress it's a, it's a is bit of a different. different context, but to a very similar effect. Yes, and to me, it's really interesting seeing the proto Star Wars. Oh, another great example. Speaking of proto Dark Star to Alien. Ah, I <laughs> have you seen Dark Star? I have not. I'm I'm familiar ah. with its existence. I say. It's been in my watch list for years. So I've seen Dark Star. Mm-hmm. Um, it was directed by John Carpenter, uh, his first movie. Really, And cool. it was written by Dan O'Bannon, I believe, a writer of Alien. Who, yes. If you watch Dark Star, it's a completely different story, and it's a comedy. But the cinematography, which is really weird because I wouldn't think the cinematography would have ported over, but it did. The cinematography and the story of Dark Star follows perfectly into alien it's very much a proto version of alien Mm. 
Um, granted, Alien also had other influences, but like Dark Star, that's I feel like Dark Star and Alien is a great comparison to the Hidden Fortress in in Star Wars. Hmm. So I need to say Dark Star, man. <laughs> yes, you do. So what we have here is a samurai western influenced epic adventure story yeah that if you i mean most people in the world have probably watched star wars i knew i know some people haven't i was one of those people for like almost two two uh, a decade and a half um but it's really cool to you know grow up watching star wars and then watch hidden fortress because then everything just falls into place and you're like, whoa. I'm sure for people who have watched like A Fistful of Dollars or for a few dollars more, that's their oh, same yeah. reaction when they watch Yojimbo. Or mm. people who like the Magnus, Magnus, Magnificent, Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. I can't speak. Uh, when they watch that and then they go and watch Seven Samurai. Yes. So both uh, both films which were directed by Kira Akira Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Whoa, we said at the same time, did we? I oh, didn't register yeah. that for me. <laughs> so this is this is arguably one of the most important films in history when it comes to special effects mm. on the American I mean, side because it is, it is from it is from the one of the most important filmmakers. Of all time, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, when when you talk about famous film directors, I feel like Kurosawa's meant uh, like biggest influence, which was uh, John Ford, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was his name, uh, John Ford. And then you have Akira Kurosawa. I mean, Akira Kurosawa is probably one of probably one of, if not the most well known, like. Foreign Japanese. film directors of all time. Absolutely. Oh, definitely the most well-known Japanese director. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Kurosawa's influenced tons of people. Mm-hmm. And Kurosawa took his influences from Ford, who influenced the likes of, like, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Which, if you've watched The Fablemans, Ford does make an appearance at the very end, uh, which is pretty cool. Ford like the, is the real Ford, or like someone no. playing Ford. D- David Lynch plays. John Ford. <laughs> it's John it's Ford great. I, I, he probably would be thinking about it. <laughs> yes, yes. John okay. Ford's long passed away. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But John Ford directed westerns, and he basically yes. created the genre. Mm. Um, he was one of the biggest names of Hollywood at the time. And Kurosawa loved his work and brought it over to Japan and created samurai epics. Yeah. Um, his first big hit internationally was Rashomon. Mm. Rashomon got him an acknowledgement at the Academy Awards in America, yeah. if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, I believe you're right. I'm pretty sure. I think I want to say it got nommed for best foreign film i don't know if it did or if it just i'm pretty sure you're right it probably got nominated somewhere and i'm pretty sure it was the academy pretty sure 
because it was it was one of the first like sort of uh, Japanese films to really get acknowledgement internationally, like significant right. acknowledgement internationally. So it got it got nominated for best art direction, set direction at the Oscars, okay. and then it was an honorary award winner in 1952. And then it, it did win some other stuff, and it got nominated for other things in the early 50s. Mm. So it, it, it got recognition. Rashomon was the biggest film for Japan at the time, and Katakawa loved it. But Kurosawa moved to Toho yeah. shortly after Rashomon, I think or in 1953. Not Katakawa. Yes, Katakawa. Uh, Dae- now Katakawa. Now owned by Katakawa. <laughs> yes. So Rashomon was a Dae production. And then I want to say in 1953, Kurosawa moved to Toho. Yeah, something uh, like, somewhere he, around that time. He produced uh, Ikaru. Ikaru? Which, which pronounced Ikaru? Yeah, because it's an starring, uh Starring Takashi Shimura, mm-hmm. which got him the label of greatest actor in the world. Yes. Followed by a 19- Dr. Yamane from Godzilla. Yes. Followed by in 1954 his I w- I wouldn't say it's his best work, it's, but it's his probably his most like notable. At least in the modern era recognized as like generally it's recognized as being his greatest by m- the most people, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai which was at one point the most expensive film before Godzilla came out. Yeah. It won the uh, the Japanese Academy Award for Best Picture that year, beating out Godzilla 54. Yeah. And, and alongside Godzilla 54, was they, those were the two films that were very big risks for Toho and could have set them broke. Though I've heard in the recent like few months that that may not have been true. Really? Yes, I've heard that there's actually no real evidence to suggest that those films were financial risks to shut Toho down. Huh. Apparently it was just a statement made by one of the kaiju scholars with no real evidence. Huh. But it could still be true. I'm just, I don't know. We don't know. Okay. Hmm. But nonetheless, like, Toho was putting big money into both of these films. Oh, yeah. Considering Seven Samurai was the most expensive film, and then a few months later, Godzilla was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the budget for Seven Samurai was, out of curiosity? or you, like N- Not off of the top of my head. Okay, okay. I can just do a quick look. So according to this, it was 210 million Japanese yen. 210, okay, okay. And then 54 was, well, this is 100 million. Gotta love different sources. <laughs> yeah. But the point being, Seven okay, Samurai so was a huge... Somewhere, somewhere in the 100 to 200 million range. Okay. Yes. So Seven Samurai was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, Kurosawa can't really fail. <laughs> All 40 of his films he's produced, people hail as masterpieces. Yeah, um, particularly in the modern day. 
Yes. I, I hear that at a current film, Hidden Fortress, as well as a couple others, I think, weren't recognized as as weren't received as well upon initial release, but particularly mm-hmm. in Japan, I think, they were right. as well received up until after, you know, Western the Western recognition really came for them. And in right. Hidden Fortress's case, after Star Wars came out. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, a lot of people just labeled Hidden Fortress as just another adventure samurai movie. Yeah. In air quotes. Yeah. Um, which I kind of understand because, and I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but Seven Samurai doesn't really have anything that you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And in my case, so I'm just going to say this because I don't know if we will ever cover other Kurosawa films or not. Yojimbo is his masterpiece to me. Mm-hmm. I love Yojimbo. Yojimbo is, and it's virtually the same crew, cast and crew, um, for the most part. I mean, Kurosawa has a lot of a lot of cast and crew members that carry over between a lot of his films, yeah. so it makes sense. So I love Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Yojimbo came out in 1963. It was... Is it 61? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was, I think. Yeah. Because uh, Sandro came out in 62. Mm-hmm. That's the sequel. So Yojimbo is this fun ronin samurai that just goes around and has fun with this town that's like having its own little civil war. Yeah. It's so fun and it's so entertaining. I remember the first time I watched Yojimbo, I was in love. And it was and my it's first Kurosawa. It does. And a ton of him. Mm. So I watched Yojimbo, and then I think I watched Seven Samurai, and then I think I watched Rashomon, and then Hidden Fortress. Mm. Hidden Fortress is good, but like I said, I've seen everything he did in Hidden Fortress done better in other films. Yeah. So I'm just going to establish this now. It's not his best work. Mm -hmm. It's not bad, though. And I in in my reading, I, I read that as well, uh, that Hidden Fortress's claim to fame mostly came, hey, that all rhymed. Uh, <laughs> that all came following the acknowledgement and recognition that George Lucas took a bulk of Star Wars from Hidden Fortress. Yeah. So much so that in developing Star Wars, um, the initial script was very closely related to Hidden Fortress. Like, there was no Han or Luke character. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was just, like, the Obi-Wan type role. Solely him, no Han, no Luke, as you said, yeah. And at one point, Obi-Wan Kenobi was not going to be played by Alec Guinness. Lucas wanted Toshiro Toshiro Mufone. (laughs) <laughs> to play Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I could never see anyone but Alec Guinness in that role. But just that thought is like, just mm. baffles I me. I love Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan, but genuinely, I would be all for 
had Mifune actually been interested in the role, mm-hmm. I would have been all for Toshua Mifune as Obi-Wan Kenobi. It would have been interesting. Would, would Different world, different different timeline we could have lived in. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think with that, people would have understood the Japanese influences a lot quicker. Oh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> I mean... When you when you realize that Star Wars is built on Japanese influences, you start to see like Darth Vader is designed after a samurai. Mm-hmm. Lightsabers are I mean, swords. I mean, I've I've heard that Darth Vader's design was also partly inspired from Hokkaido as well. Really? Yeah, because I heard. I I don't know if this is actually true, but I've heard that George Lucas was staying in Japan in the seventies. Uh, sometime mid seventies ish, and you know he saw on TV a bit of Hokkaido uh, on an episode where Hokkaido shows up, and that was one of the inspirations for Darth Vader. Huh. I don't know how true that story is because could, for all I know, be hearsay. But I thought right. it was pretty interesting. Huh. That I would love that if that was true. I, I, I mean, want, you can I want see to it. Think it's true. I, yeah, exactly. You can see it, <laughs> particularly in like. I mean, obviously, Hakata's Hakata and Darth Vader both got like the black armor, but you know, even in like the head design of Hakata, yes, I can see sort of where Darth Vader could have come from with that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I George Lucas has kind of proven that that Japanese entertainment is something that he grew up with. I mean, I mean, a lot of people from what I understand that, he didn't really grow up with it per se. He more he he learned more he learned about foreign cinema mainly when he was in film school from what uh from the interview I watched. Right, with with his friend, I can't remember who his name was. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, they yeah. would show Kurosawa films, and that's where he watched Hidden Fortress for the first time. Was yeah um, at one of these film school showings, and he was like, "We got to go! It's Kurosawa." Yeah, and that's where Lucas was first introduced to Hidden Fortress. But like yeah. Lucas did grow up with watching like Japanese giant monster movies. That was something that just aired, and people did watch. Oh yeah, I'm sure he probably saw some Japanese films at some point <laughs> before then. So you know it. Lucas, it's funny to think that Star Wars, without, like, Japanese entertainment, like Hidden Fortress and whatnot, like, Star Wars wouldn't be what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, even in the modern day, Star Wars still has taken Japanese influence. I mean, look at The Mandalorian. <laughs> That's that's straight up just Lone Wolf and Cub, or at least the first season or two was. Well, you have stuff like the Zillow Beast too, which is oh, clearly yeah, yeah. Godzilla inspired. Yeah. Um, and you have like Star Wars Visions, which has episodes animated in the anime style. I mean, they were done by actual anime studios, some of them, I believe, if not all of them. I'm pretty sure you're right. And, uh, and Studio Ghibli did a Garagu. Yeah, Garagu. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And we got so, the, the composer of Godzilla against Mechagodzilla to do one of the Star Wars Vision episode scores. We did? Yeah. Michiro Oshima. Huh. She did one of the episodes. I think she did the first episode. Either that or the second episode. Huh. Yeah, she did the score. That's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't know that. I I don't dive too much into Star Wars. Yeah, no, but it was in like it was on like Godzilla Twitter a bit at one point. I feel like I was avoiding Godzilla Twitter at that time. Yeah, whatever. I do that from time to time when I get bored. <laughs> so I feel like we've been like stuck on like the influences and like what Hidden Fortress did. Yeah, you well, it is to... Star Wars month, so it's kind of important that we talk a little bit about Star Wars, you know. This is true. This is virtue. So now that we've established like what Hidden Fortress is, like I, I, at yeah. the beginning of this, I was like, "This is the first Star Wars movie." Mm-hmm. This is what Star Wars took influence from. Yeah. So, do you want to go ahead and dive in and just talk about this? adventure filled movie and then we can we can throw facts in or talk about it at the end and then yeah sure let's go right ahead <laughs> okay so right away we're introduced to toho scope this was kurosawa's first toho scope film first widescreen yeah. film yeah and, and but it was his last film produced under toho i believe no Really? Because I, I mean, I know Toho distributed uh, his following films, but from what I understand, after so his contract ended with Toho on this, um, and then after after Hidden Fortress, he made his he felt he formed his own uh, production company, produced most, if not all, of his following films in them, and had so, them distributed by Toho. That, from what I read. After. From what I read from the Criterion booklet, it was after Seven Samurai, when Toho, because during Seven Samurai, Toho was kind of limiting Kurosawa. That's after that film, Kurosawa established his own production company and co-produced the films, um, following Seven Samurai with Toho. Mm, I don't know. That doesn't quite line up with what I read, but maybe. I'm going to fact check myself real quick. <laughs> Because I, I want to make sure that we aren't wrong here. So, The Hidden Fortress was Kira Kurosawa's first hit after 1954 Seven Samurai. Four mm-hmm. years and four films earlier, it won even bigger at the box office and scooped up a handful of Japanese and international awards, proving that its director is not merely an art house auteur, but could fill theaters as well. The film's popularity in Japan was instrumental in securing financial guarantees for Kurosawa's own production company, which supported all of his subsequent films up to 1970. So, from my understanding, that was following Seven Samurai. But it, it the film, this booklet uses uh, they, them, that, this film. So, Maybe it was Hidden Fortress? Vague. It's a bit vague. I see. So, I know... I do know that Kurosawa co-produced this. Okay. That's all I know. 
if if there's any experts on pure style films, feel feel free to to send us the correct the correct version of these events. Of these events, whether or not it was Seven Samurai or Hidden Fortress that started the co-production phase, yeah. but you are correct. Um, and with that, I want to go on a slight tangent here and establish something. So Kurosawa directed his films, right? Yeah. He also co-wrote all of his movies, mm-hmm. produced his movies, I think was executive producer technically as well, and edited the films himself. Yeah. Um, Because of this, and the fact that he did that on all of his movies which makes the fact he made 40 of these even more remarkable. Mm. He gets royalties on his films. Mm. Uh, His family does because of the fact that Kurosawa did so much. So in the late 2010s, the Kurosawa family filed a lawsuit against Toho saying that because Kurosawa did so much, they should be receiving royalties for his films. And they won. So now, every time a Kurosawa film gets released, specifically by Toho, the family gets royalties from that. So the most (laughs) recent uh, 4Ks that were released, uh, 4Ks and Blu-rays of like a handful of his titles, they all get royalties from this. Yes, I think it was Ikaru... Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, and... There were like two others, I think. I think High and Low. Yes, High and Low is one of them. And that might be it. Oh, well. But nonetheless, they get royalties because Kurosawa was such a huge... Like, these were his movies. They weren't the producers. They weren't... Well, I guess he was the producer, so he (laughs) was the producers. But, like, it wasn't anybody else. It was Kurosawa doing what he wants yeah. And what he loves. Hmm. He was the first Hideaki Anno. <laughs> That's a Shin Kamen Rider reference, if anybody knows the recent drama about <laughs> Anno and his his gr- uh, grip on production. Yeah. Hey, man, man, man wants to make the film the way he wants to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he can't, he doesn't always know what he wants to make. Yeah, that the, especially when he doesn't know how to do an ending like Anno. And moving on, mm, that, before I okay, okay, whatever, whatever. You you're wrong. He can do endings, but anyways. So we're introduced to our two main protagonists characters. I, I yeah. okay. I I'd uh, say this film has sort of three protagonists. I mean, I mean, the Japanese title is. Uh, three bad men in a hidden fortress. Um, right. And these are two of our three main men. Their names are Tehi? 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 Yeah, Tahe and Tahe? Mita, Mita Shichi? Mita S-H-I-U-N-I? That was not how it was spelled in... in... That was not how it was spelt in the movie, but I'm pretty Maybe sure it was my Mitashichi. Mitashichi? Shichi, I think. Shichi? Shichi? She. S-H-I. She. S-H-I-C-H-I. Shichi. Yeah. 
At least that's what I've got written down here. <laughs> hopefully, I didn't. Hopefully, I didn't write it down wrong. <laughs> so we we were introduced to them just wandering in a desolate just landscape. Yeah, and they're bickering. And this is where my first note of watching this movie is. I love the back and forth between them. Mm. It's so entertaining to watch. Yeah, no. Um, okay, yeah. Midashichi is is uh, the character. Midashichi? Yeah, I just looked it up. But it's so it's so interesting, like, fun to watch them go back and forth because they kind of do have points. They both have their time to shine. They both have their valid points in there fun moments and it's just good comedic banter it is this film does a lot of comedy and it does it pretty well yeah so while they're bantering this samurai just kind of wanders onto the screen mm-hmm. by the way there are no cuts here kurosawa yep. is just walking with the camera yeah and then all of a sudden we get a uh, samurai on horseback coming in riding in and they stab and murder the samurai and then the, our two main, two of our main characters argue on whether or not they're going to steal from the samurai or not, which leads them to break up in air quotes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they basically argue like a couple. <laughs> yeah, more or less. So they break if up. You've, one if you've goes, seen Star Wars, it's kind of it's it's basically the scene where C three PO and R two D two yes go their separate yeah, ways it, before getting captured by the Jawas. They they are your C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah. Like, from the moment you watch start this film, you know, okay, you, so this you, is R2-D2 and 3PO. Like, the most obvious, the most obvious source of inspiration for Star Wars is these two characters. Yes. Like, the most immediately obvious. Which, the what I find very interesting is both of these actors... We're in other Kurosawa films, but they only ever played like minor roles. This was I mean, their first. Tahei was one of the his actor was one of the samurai in Seven Samurai, I believe. To be fair, but he was a side character and was also You're... the first to die. This is true. <laughs> so, like, it was really interesting to see them in this film be like our like. They are the characters we follow from point A to point B to point C. Yeah. From the narrative to is the narrative is built around them in hmm. their view, which is very interesting because Kurosawa does the story. So you get to see both the peasants, because they are peasants, they're poor, they are used to fighting for their lives. And then we get to see the royalty, which is Mifone and the princess's characters. And how yeah. they clash in socially, mm. which is, I think, one of the most interesting parts of this film is just seeing that clash of the knowledge and the wealth compared to the lack of knowledge and <sighs> lack of wealth. Yeah. Which creates such an interesting dynamic for our four characters that we follow throughout the film. Mm. And helps add to some of the comedy as well, of course. Yes. So, following this, we continue to follow our two characters. Um, granted, they're split up. So now we're... I want to say we follow... We follow 
Tei, Tei, right? If I'm rem- remembering Tahe. Yeah. We follow him as he finds a billboard, a public sign that says anybody who finds the princess, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, the princess of Yuki, uh, or the princess of as- the Ak- Akizaki clan, um, anyone who finds her will be rewarded 10 Rio for her capture, or if they can give any information for her, free Rio. Which is our leading, which is their plot, MacGuffin. It's their reason to be there because they want money. They're looking for money. Yeah. <laughs> also, I forgot to bring up in the opening uh, Wander, I'm going to call it. It's established that they went to war. They were confused to be the other side. So they were forced to bury the bodies of yeah, the other side. They were confused to be to having been members of the Akizaki clan. And I think they were they're in. I think it was I think it's the Yanma clan they were in. I think it's switched because they're trying to get to the ha Hayaku clan. Uh. So they're going through the Yamana territory. Oh, oh, okay. Because why else would they be like trying to get across? Mm-hmm. And at at the end of the film, the princess does say, I'm your princess. So I'm pretty sure they're of the losing side. But I could be wrong. Well, they're not very smart. They're not very smart. So so it's kind of established that they they don't really know what they're doing. They're just. (laughs) It's like 3PO and R2. They're just kind of there. Yeah. When when they're being shot at, they're just walking through the corridors hoping to god they don't get shot. <laughs> so oh, <laughs> then they get captured. Yep. And so now they are in this they're taken to the ruins of the how do you pronounce the family the Azumi? Akizuki? Akizuki Akizuki? Akizuki. Akizuki. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. You see, the only the reason ruins... I remember the name is because it's Shadow Moon's last name. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> they're sent to the ruins of where they... I'm guessing their castle? Their yeah, palace? I, guess... I, I, I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think the movie really states... It doesn't, but it's implied that wherever it was, was where their gold was said to Mm. be kept. So one of them, I think it's Tahe, is digging for the gold, whereas, say the other character's name. Marashichi? Marashichi. Shichi. Shichi. Oh, whatever. I'm, I'm just not even going to bother correcting you anymore. I'm trying. <laughs> so I'm just going to call him Mata. Sure. Whatever. Short. It's shorter. So Mata is sent to bury the dead, I'm guessing. It's not really established. He just kind of disappears mm-hmm. while Tahe is digging. And then one night, all of the captives decide to... Uh, Riot. Riot. 
And they successfully do it. Granted, a lot of them die, but they do it. Yeah, well, that's what that's what happens. <laughs> right. And uh, Mada and Tahe meet up, and they're like, we're just going to die together. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, this is hell. We're just going to die together here. We're never going to leave each other. That's I'm pretty sure that's like word for word what they say. Yeah. So but somehow they survive. They survive the riot and disappears they and they escape. While they're on the run, they steal some rice from a village and they're they're setting up a camp near all these rocks. Yeah. And while they're bickering back and forth, one of them throws a stick. Mm-hmm. And that they, they were using for cooking. That they're using for cooking. And then just a, a little gold bar just flings out of it. Now, wouldn't that be a Ryu? They just call it gold. In my this is true. So but I'm, I'm it's implied that a Ryu is gold, from my understanding. No, the Ryu was the coin, I believe. Because at the end, the coin that the princess uh, gives them. Is a Rio. That's right. That's right. I just looked it up. So it's just like gold sticks. Yeah. With the Akizaki clan symbol on them. Yes. I see. I'm horrible at the Japanese names. This is why you're here, Rex. I'm not actually good at them. I just pretend I am. Ah. Good to know. (laughs) So. Then they go stir-crazy and start trying to find more. Mm-hmm. They find a second one, but then some dude is from above them watching them as they're bickering about this gold. And yeah. they try to act calm. What's funny, the comedy about them is they get caught and then they act like they're doing nothing. Like, yeah. like if I was stealing and a cop saw me... I would steal until I realize the cops there, and then I'm going to act like I didn't do it. But the cops saw me steal the whole time. <laughs> it's like you're not going to get away with it. <laughs> like give up now. I mean, look, man, you work in retail. Surely you know how many people do that in, in real life. I do, exactly. and I watch them do it, and then I stop them. <laughs> Just tonight, I had a lady. Literally, I walked away, and five minutes. Later, came back and I was like, yeah, she didn't pay for all that. And I had to stop her and wait 30 minutes after the store closed to <laughs> get her stuff figured out so she wouldn't walk out with stuff she stole. Mm-hmm. People. <laughs> but this person watching from afar is none other than Toshiro Mifone playing, playing the lead Rokudota samurai. Makabe? I believe his name yes. was. Yes. So they act normal. He is and they third walk away. titular bad man. Yes. But he's the best out of all three of them. If we're going yeah. by their methods and what he does. Mm. So Nightfall arrives, which may I say, I love Kurosawa's cinematography at night. Like it's set up. Oh, yeah. Like a stage play. It just looks, it's kind of dreamy. It's kind of like a stage play. Yeah, that's what, that's, I was just going to say. I was like, this is kind of dreamlike in a way. 
Which is funny because Kirithor made a film called Dreams. <laughs> this is true. So I, I, I just wanted to highlight, like, I love that. And I didn't highlight this earlier, but it's something that's throughout the set of the ruins that they're digging at is an amazing set. It's huge, but it's amazing and so detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, that is throughout this film. There are a ton of detailed sets. The hidden fortress is really well done. Um, uh, there's a lot of apps. There's a lot of really, really good on location shooting. Which yes. Ended up delay causing the film to be delayed due to um some. Really poor weather at the time. Record-breaking weather. (laughs) That caused the intended three-month production schedule to uh, last a bit longer. And I know Toho wasn't too happy with that. Yeah, I think think it was more the executives or the higher-ups at Toho who weren't happy. And the producer had to... One of the producers on this had to apologize to them or something. Huh. I don't, I don't know which producer it was. I just read that one of the producers did. Gotcha, gotcha. So while at night, Mithone pays our two bumbling peasants a visit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because I haven't watched a Kurosawa film since I did theater productions. But while I was watching this movie, I realized that Mithone acts not like a movie star. Oh, um, and that's something I found really interesting about Curse uh, uh, Mafone, and this is just something he does. He acts like he's in a stage play. His motions are very big. You see every move he makes. He's not mm. a subtle actor, at least in these samurai films. Mm. I, and maybe it's because Mafone has such a big presence. But throughout it, I was like, it almost reminds me of Kabuki with how much motion he's putting in to everything he's doing. Like when he is on scene uh, on on screen, you know, he is. Yeah, but he doesn't have to be loud. He doesn't have to, like, assert his presence. It's just how he he is. He just has that presence in all of his films. Like all the ones that I've seen, um, like he, he is, he is easily the most memorable actor in, you know, Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Yojimbo, Hidden Fortress. Out of out of those Mifune films that I've seen, <laughs> and like I love that because Mifune does not feel like your standard actor. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in in Kurosawa's Bay of like reoccurring actors the other person i relate to kurosawa is takashi shimura Mm -hmm. takashi shimura is a very personalized actor his motions are not very big he's very subtle everything is small like when he's on screen like he absolutely like if it's focused on him he is going to take that scene away from anybody on 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 set with him yeah Unless it's Godzilla Raids again, where he's more interested in his pen. This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Whereas Mifune, like, the camera doesn't even have to be on him. When he shows up for the first, and he shows up 20 minutes into the film. When he shows up, his presence, he's standing there in the middle of the screen, in the top part, 
with his arms crossed, legs spread, just like <laughs> standing there asserting his dominance. And you know that it's him. Like, yeah, it, it's it is Mafone. And he like, has stolen very that. not large in the frame. You just know immediately. His, it's, it's just who he is. <laughs> so then our two peasants, going back into kind of the, the plot here, our two peasants try to intimidate Mafone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. By saying, hey. And then Mafone turns around and like gives them a side glance. And they're like, the weather's really nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're not, you are not like intimidating this dude. This dude can break you with like <laughs> the fleck of his pinky. Toshiro Mafone was the Chuck Norris before Chuck Norris existed. So from here, Mafone, Mafone is really smart in this movie. His character is highly intelligent and it's hmm. proven throughout the story. Um, he successfully, the following day, he successfully manipulates the peasants to come with him to the Hidden Fortress after hearing about their plan on crossing into the Yamana territory to get to the Hiroku territory, because that's where the Akuzimi... Hayakawa. Right? Hayakawa. Uh, Hayakawa? Okay. Yep. Um, they are... So you have three clans. The Yamana clan is like the clan that hates. They hate the Akuzumi. 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 Akizuki. Akuziki clan. Essentially, the, the clan that we that our characters are for is the um, Akizuki clan. So, yes. Mafune is. Spoiler alert, it's revealed later on that he is a, a general, a samurai He's general. He's like the highest the general. Yeah, He's essentially. He's like the, the highest general. And the princess is the leader of the Akizuki clan, and our two, our, our two peasants are, you know, they are manipulated by Mifune to help the Akizuki clan members. And their whole plan is to travel to the Yamana territory because why would the losing side go into territory that they know they'd die in? Mm -hmm. That's their whole cover. Cross into what's the name of the of Hayakawa. Clan? The Hayakawa clan and get like touch base with their leaders because they will help and re be able to reclaim their territory. So that's the idea of the right. movie. Thank you, Rob. Right? I, I was, I was confused. I was, for some reason, I was remembering it as the Hayakawa clan being the antagonist. But now that you say that, it makes more sense for the Yamana clan to be the villains. Yeah. <laughs> Just remembering what their plan actually was that makes more sense to me now. <laughs> and like that's so that's the basic story. Now that's not really like Star Wars. It really mm -hmm. isn't like that. That's where Star Wars is different. Um, Star Wars does a lot of things different. Uh, it, it's mostly in the characters, in the cinematography, you see the story develop mm -hmm. um, into Star Wars. So the rest of the film isn't really Star Wars esque besides your characters and their interactions. Yeah. 
So following that, Mifone is trying to, I guess, break in the peasants to know that, you know, he can officially, like, make them do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. So they cook rice for him. They dig. They do all of this. They They unnecessarily climb ridiculous mountains when there's a secret passage. And all and it's it's Mifune testing to see how much he can manipulate them and yeah. see how much he can use them because they are stupid. They're very stupid. So and like Mifune's plans are great. And I put that in my notes like Mifune's plans are great. <laughs> He's so smart in this movie. He's so smart. So from here, it's just developing that unsuspecting trust. They find out that he is the general of the Akuzimi, uh, Akizuki clan. Akuzuki, I'm just going to stop. Akizuki clan. Yeah. But they don't know the princess is still alive. Yeah. Um, they find a spring. He shows them a spring that's After really good for water. After they went to the titular hidden fortress. Right. Um, so they're aware of the hidden fortress and they're they're just, they think that they're going to make it out pretty good mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure the the idea is they're looking for the gold at the hidden fortress whereas mifune knows where all the gold is he's just not telling them yeah so it all collected <laughs> and hidden so now the plan is getting the princess who is seek, is who is hiding at the hidden fortress to get the princess to safe safer places to regain their power. Yeah. During all of this, our peasants end up like just saying, screw it. We know you're hiding stuff from us. We're just going to go to the Yamana clan and blabber and get paid for it. Mm. Mifune like puts an end to this every single time. Uh, he sent his own sister to be the, the princess who's killed so they yep. think the princess is dead. So it's this whole thing. And every time the peasants finally think they're one step ahead of Mifone, he finds a way to to be five steps ahead of them. It, And I think that's one of my most like entertaining aspects of this film is just how Mifone always seems to be ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so... Following this, we get introduced to the princess. Mm. The princess is established to not be... She doesn't seem to be fully aware of what's what could happen. Mm-hmm. I, I put in my notes that the moments of the princess feel strange. She definitely feels like she's been... She's royalty. Like, she, she walks, she acts, she talks... Like she doesn't belong mm-hmm. with her servants and, and the peasants, which makes sense because the actress, this was actually one of her first roles. It was her first role for Kurosawa. Yeah. So, I mean, she had, she had no acting experience previously. Um, I mean, part of the reason why later on in the film, Mifune gets her to pretend, pretend to be mute. Part of the reason for that was because um, the actress had no acting experience. Huh. Yeah. 
They auditioned so the, like 4,000 people, but they out of the people they auditioned, which interestingly enough included uh, Akiko Wakabayashi. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, as one of the applicants. Um, none of them were, accept- were successful. It's just that one of the crew members that scouted uh, this actress, Misa, Misa, o- Misa Uehara, and yeah. <laughs> I'm learning so much tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of established with her that she has the morals of like, she's she views herself as nothing special, but she also isn't in tune with the rest of the world to realize that she acts like she's special. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I guess, yeah. It, would you say I'm right with that, or or yeah, am I wrong? I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you. Okay. I just feel like I'm rambling on a lot here about how the, the story, f- like, explains itself. Mm-hmm. I'm like 30 minutes into this two-hour movie. <laughs> so, eventually, like, our two peasants go crazy. They're like, we're done. We're done. We're done. Mm. We've been working so hard, and we're getting nowhere. So, they basically give up during this scene there's an amazing use of the camera you have one of the, your characters muta mm-hmm. uh on the on screen left oh yeah is this like the was this a tracking shot of them yes it's the tracking shot of the camera down in the pit they've dug yeah, yeah. you have muta on the screen left and you have oh, hang on uh, the right on the right and it's just going back as they're walking forward. And I just loved this shot. Yeah, I remember this shot. <laughs> it, it was so... Kurosawa outdoes himself with the widescreen here. He uses every inch of that frame. Oh, 100%. And he plays around a lot with like the depth of field as well. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Kurosawa did even in his 4.3 aspect ratio films. He yeah. found a way to either make the scene very flat and very personable or very, like, big mm. and full. Following this, it, it Mifone's character realizes they can't stay any longer. Like, they're out of time. They yeah. have to get the princess moving. So he challenges the princess to be a mute, and mm. they're going to go into en- enemy territory to get to their allies. And this begins the adventure. And did you, were you about to say something? Oh, no, no. Do you want to explain (laughs) the adventure side? I feel like I've set up the, uh, the prologue here to the big adventure. Okay. (laughs) You're like, Oh boy, here we go. Okay. So, yeah, essentially, Mifune, Roku Rota, um, gets, he essentially gets the, uh, two, the two peasants to carry the gold, takes all the Akizuki clan's gold with them, and brings a girl who is a princess, but he doesn't tell them. Uh, that she's the princess. He keeps them completely in the dark. Just saying it that should it's also, some new girl. It should also be established that they knew about her before. Yeah. They just 
Mifune always played her off as like his girl. Yeah. This was just a girl he found and he has ownership of her. Yeah. <laughs> they go on their way to Yamana, right? Yes. Yeah. Leaving behind Takashi Shimura and some of the other some of the other people that uh Mifune met and the princess met up with briefly um beforehand to come up with their plan. Which three horses I'm- and all that. I also want to point out Mifune got a vi- or not Mifune, uh Shimura got a very high casting listing, yet he's Tell only in the like movie for two or three scenes. He's on the hilltop and he's in the cave. Yeah. He's in two scenes, probably a minute total. Did he get higher billing than uh, the princess or I wanna say yes. I'm pretty sure I. I'm pretty sure he did, from what I saw. I'm pretty sure he did, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. So they go on their way. The Fune decides to scout ahead and leaves the peasants and the princess behind. Horrible idea, because the peasants end up trying to steal the gold, uh, and convincing the mute to, as they believe, the mute girl to. Uh, let them take the horses with the gold. And this leads to them attracting the attention of, of the enemy forces. Which this also establishes something that will be will, that will happen throughout the film. And that's the peasants screw themselves over and they screw our the other two over a yeah. ton. And this and this is, is what really sets our chase like fully into motion. Because throughout the entire rest, pretty much most of the rest of the runtime, our characters are being chased by the uh, the main enemy clan, which is similar to Star. It's another thing that I saw that I was sort of comparing to Star Wars with the whole Moss, the whole Tatooine Moss Eisley sort of sequence, mm-hmm. where you know you've got uh, Obi Wan and Luke looking for like a ship to get to Alderaan um, to send the, like the Death Star plans or whatever. And, you know, you've got like, while they're meeting up with Han and all that, they've got Imperial Stormtroopers on their tail searching for them endlessly. Right. So that was another thing I saw from there. Alongside the, the screen transition wipes as well. Yeah, and the film uses a lot of wipes, much like yeah. Star Wars. I mean, didn't Kur- Kurosawa, some of Kurosawa's other films also use wipes? Yes, yes. Kurosawa really liked the wipe transition. Yeah, because I remember it appearing in at least either Rashomon or, and or Seven Samurai. I think it appears in both. I'm pretty I, sure. Yeah, I think it does. I don't remember if it appears in Yojimbo or not. You you could you could tell me you you're the expert on your job. I don't think it does. <laughs> no, I don't think it does. Mm. I don't remember it being in your Jimbo. I don't either. Mm. But yeah, so throughout this, Mifune, um, Mifune does his best to, you know, re-escort, re escort re. I'm skipping ahead. I think. <laughs> Yeah, so 
they try to go back to the fortress. They find out that the Yamana clan has found the fortress and it's burned. So it forces and, them to go on this journey. Yeah, there's no turning back from this point on. So they try to cross over. Mifone has a clever idea. And I love this idea. <laughs> he has this idea where he uses one of the sticks with gold to get the to distract the guards of the um of this village area. Tell them I found I found this piece of gold. The guard will show it to sort of like the the mayor, the leader. It's so I'm pretty sure it's the so Mafone is the general of the military for the Akizuki clan. And I'm pretty sure they hand it to the general leader of the Yamana clan. Okay. I think. I could be wrong. I don't know. They didn't really specify what his role was. I just kind of assumed he was like a leader of the town area. Or like maybe the like the leader of the military in that area, I guess. Well, doesn't he reappear? I don't remember him reappearing. Okay. Because it was a different... Because, like, the main villain of this movie... Or, no, the main, like, general that Mifune fights and then becomes allied with is a different guy named Tadakoro. Got, that's right, that's right. So I think he's... The person we're talking about is kind of like just the head of, like... This sort of area. Uh, yes, yes. But, um, yeah, so he gives them this. So they get into, like, that main area in front of all the guards and all that without, you know, getting really searched because everyone's distracted by this gold piece that he found. And, you know, he shows it to them. They're like, oh, this is the Akizuki clan's of gold. And then he de- he demands it b- back. He demands like a, either it back or a reward for it. <laughs> they call him greedy, not, and he just he uses that to sneak um, the peasants and the princess and the and the horses with all, all the, the gold, gold. <laughs> just through without them without them realizing in any capacity. And ironically, calling him greedy. And what's and what I really appreciate about this is it goes back to the scene where uh, Mafone challenges the princess to be a mute because yeah. he's like, "I had to once play a mute for this mission I was on." Mm-hmm. And here we see another example of how Mafone is so resourceful. As this character, he knows how to act like a peasant. If he found gold, he would want something in return. He fights to get it, risking everybody, but he knows that the guards won't actually kill them. They're just going to push them away. Yeah. And just laugh it off. <laughs> it's such a brilliant idea. Mm. It's clever and it works. <laughs> and then following this, and, and I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I really oh, yeah. wanted to point this out. So after they leave, it cuts to the main, the like overseer of this this area where people can cross it cuts to him in his like i don't know his parliament his board of his the his i guess 
other leaders, the other leaders of this this area. Mm-hmm. They all sit down in unison, and it's like it's something that would never happen, but that adds to the dreamlike this the the, the art the artsy side of the Kur- of these Kurosawa films. It's something that's not realistic, but it's stylized. And it just adds this nice little flair to the mm-hmm. scene that maybe a lot of people wouldn't recognize. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, I love that. I got to write that down. Mm. Yeah. Following this, <laughs> right after they have snuck into the the village, a a soldier who has been pers- who I believe he's one of the soldiers who attacked the hidden the hidden fortress yes. earlier. Uh, sending them on their journey of no return shows up immediately after to this village and tells them warns the um the leader of this area of free horses three men two to two to four men i think no they say three they say three men one woman three horses ah well yeah basically to that effect um and yeah, and he's just in absolute disbelief. <laughs> Comedy in this movie was on goddamn point, I swear. It's it's great. And it's it's very situational. All of the comedy in this is situational or ironic. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much exactly. So following this, don't they don't they end up in the village? Yeah. They end up in the village and sort of stop for the night, um, you know, just just to rest. They they hide their they try hiding their gold and horses in plain sight, but Rock Rockaruda is forced to or Rockaroda, sorry, is forced to basically forced to sell one of the horses. Um but then ends up having to sell all three of them, right? Yeah, he sells all three of them because the princess wants to save uh, this one, uh, this one girl who's basically been forced and being forced into prostitution. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out something here that I think is really genius. So the first horse is sold by some random person that comes in and says, this horse is too good to be a pack horse. Yeah. That's something that the peasants said earlier, thinking they were guard horses. Hmm. So it's a callback to what the peasants thought and, the peasants are kind of on the same level, maybe a little lower than the people in this town. Mm-hmm. And Mafona's character doesn't even, because they're so wealthy, they don't think about, oh, this is too good to be a pack horse. But that in return gives them the benefit because they're being labeled as three men, one woman, three horses. Yeah. Now it's that 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 last part that like, you can tell as them is gone. It's yeah. such a genius idea. Oh and yeah, yeah. It's so it's so interesting how it's all connected. Kurosawa's writing team was very tightly knit with everything worked out to a T. Yeah. After after staying at the inn and buying um, essentially the woman's freedom, but um, you know, still making her join them for the time being. Or no, she jo- she joins them of her own volition. Actually, sorry, that's my mistake. Yeah, they they buy her freedom. They let her free, but she decides to go with them and help yeah. them on their journey. Yeah, 
they also buy a cart to, to pull all the pull, wooden. Push all the gold, yeah. Yeah, they have a few encounters with the uh, Yamana soldiers, and eventually Toshiro Mifune uh, chases them by horseback. <laughs> well, because he was forced to. They yeah. didn't realize who they were. They rode off, and then they came back because they realized, hey, you're the ones we're looking for. So Mifune yeah. has to blow his cover, and... Here we have some of the best use of the widescreen, I think, with Mifune riding the horse. Mm -hmm. And we have the best thing he does in the entire movie. While he's riding his horse, the way he holds that sword is so amazing. He has it off <laughs> to his side. Like it's a, uh, I guess like how you would hold a sword, but it's very, it's not like in a, in a, defensive pose it's more of like a striking pose is it's it like holding it two-handed yes okay closer yeah. most kind of like a baseball bat yeah, yeah yeah i know what you're talking about and he rides down the horse and just slices down the people as he goes <laughs> i just love it it mifune has so much fun and i love it mm. i believe he did most of his own stunts too from what i read Absolutely, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if he did all of them. Yeah, pro pr honestly, probably. <laughs> but yeah, he he is eventually led um, by one of the men on the horseback to to an outpost of like one of the Yamane generals, sort of like the main one that we focus on in this movie, a it, man named Tadakoro, who is the Mifune equivalent for the Yamane. The opposite clan. side. Yeah. Yes. Someone who Mifune himself had, I think it's sort of suggested that they have a bit of a history together. But they never directly, like they were in, I, from what I understood, they were in the same battles, but they never fought each other. They, they definitely never fought each other before, but I think they said they, I think it's suggested that they were friends. They either were friends beforehand, or at least they definitely knew about each other. They you knew know, they about know, so they know each other by name, like mm -hmm. it's kind of like a kind of like you have your good person. Oh, it's it, it to me it was kind of like Obi Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I this guess yeah. That's, that's, they're, they're, yeah, <laughs> it like they they well no because Obi Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader did fight each other. Um, prequels didn't exist by this point. Okay, yeah, we'll just we'll just say that they the prequels weren't real. Yeah, so they knew of each other. They were on opposing sides, but both of them were so high profile. They knew of each other, and so when they finally came face to face, it was like, <laughs> here we are, finally. And then we get a very interesting uh, spear fight between the two of them. Yeah, pretty decently lengthy one too. Like I was actually surprised for. Pleasantly surprised by how long it went on for, and some of the interesting like set design and choreography with it too, with, like mm -hmm. the whole not flags, um, just like the fabric, um, like area that they sort of like, I guess danced around. You could say, <laughs> yeah. And I tried to keep track, and I I really liked how Kurosawa used different shots. Like he had some close ups. But he also yeah. had some medium shots and then some wide shots of both of them fighting. Oh yeah, there's I, a bit of wide shots, um, particularly when you know they're 
they're attacking each other from um like the the um I keep wanting to say flagpole for some reason, but the the, the fabrics. Yeah, the fabric. Uh, the I don't know what you would call those, but yeah, they're like these fabric fence fences. I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's let, it's just cloth. Let's just call it. Yeah, yeah. The cloth. They're cl- <laughs> they're cloth that's cloth hung arena. up. The cloth <laughs> arena. They're cl- it's cloth that's hung up that they they slice with the spears to see where the other is at. Yeah. And during this, especially, there's a lot of wide shots of them just kind of like dancing around. Mm. Um, and then there's some pretty good close-ups of their reactions, and then some nice medium shots of them like prepping to to strike. Mm. Uh, I mean, the 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 fight ends up with Mafone in air quotes defeating. Well, the yeah, villain. he is he is victorious. Mifune he, is victorious, but he doesn't end up killing Tadakora. Mm-hmm. And I think that's out of the honor and respect he has for him. Yeah. From my understanding. Like, he's such a good fighter that Mifune doesn't want to, like, kill him here. Yeah. But this ends up not being to Tadakora's favor as it ends up um, Later leading in the to film, him yeah. essentially being dishonored off screen and <laughs> mm-hmm. this is essentially humiliates him. Right. So following this, don't we basically just get, I mean, there from here, it's basically the rest of the film is just them trying to get to their end goal and yeah. then just trying to fit in yeah. until they're caught. Right. Yeah. More or less. I mean, there's, we get a fair bit more comedic situations. Um, you know, they end up going to like this firewood um, festival, which really connects with uh, Princess Yuki, particularly the song that the um, that the people in the area sing. From what I read, it was like for that, it was kind of the idea that Princess Yuki gets to see what living a air quotes low life is yeah and and the the stuff that comes with that and she embraces that yeah and like just just tries to live in the moment and it the song like you said hits her in a deep spot which she uses later on in the film yeah so but there's a problem with this festival the reason they're a part of this is they were trying to fit in so they could escape yeah but it's a firewood festival where they're burning all the wood and thus um <laughs> all this is the the only reason they're even here is because of the two peasants trying to escape Mifune. And again, they're so dumb that they just fail. Yeah. Like they're their worst enemy. Like <laughs> they really are their own worst enemies. If if they just followed Mifone, they would have made it through perfectly fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So the wood is burned, and they have to wait for the next morning to yeah, dig up all of the fire. Gold. Or, yeah. I don't know. Dig up the fire? <laughs> or to dig up all the fire. Yes. Dig up all the gold. <laughs> which they're un- unsuccessful because there is now a search party just wandering, like this wave of guards. 
So they have to quickly get what they can and then escape. Mm. But then they decide to go back for even more. Which works. Yeah, but then they get chased by two guards. <laughs> but then Mephone gets to use those guards to lug more gold. Yeah. But then that doesn't last too long. No, which this is the moment where I kind of was surprised the film took this turn because you would expect them to get to their final spot. Like the adventure like ends with them achieving their goal, Mm -hmm. which it it appears it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, while I believe while they were resting. Yeah, while they were resting at night. They get essentially ambushed by um, the by uh, the search party. You know, Mifune, the princess, and um, the the lady they freed all get cornered by you know the search party. Meanwhile, the two peasants just flee. They they decide the peasants decide. Oh well, we'll just rep- we'll just go back to the Yamane clan base and, you know, report information on the princess for our free Rio, you know? Get our money, finally. Make some worth out of the adventure. But because Mifune and co. had already been captured, by the time they get there, their information is absolutely useless and and lose out on any reward. And what's interesting is at this point, the film just stops following them for a while yeah up until the last five minutes the film drops all of them Mm. so our now we follow mifone and the princess and the other female who are now captured yeah and the yamana clan is celebrating they're they've won yeah they plan on executing them but tadakoro the man that Mifune had defeated earlier appears to our sort of captured trio here. There's a, has a conversation with Mifune, revealing that he, following Mifune's fight, he had been soft. He had been beaten and scarred from, you know, the his humiliation at Mifune's mm-hmm. hands. And, and this is this is where the princess sings the fire song. Yep. Which, which ends does up moving um Tadakoro to the point of him in the following scene where they're sort of about to be sent to their execu- execution. He's recites the lyrics of the song and ends up freeing them. Mm-hmm. He sends the three horses with the gold loose. Yeah. Everybody's like, he's gone crazy. He ends up beating all of them because he's the best of the clan. That's why he's the general. Mm. And then he releases them. And I, I love the fact that the princess did this. You would think, so if this was an American movie, he would die here. Yeah. He would die here as like the ultimate sacrifice for them to escape. Yeah. And the princess is like... Don't, Don't die, die in vain. vain. Follow, Follow us. If you wish. And I love that. I love the fact that she accepts him and is like, come with us. 
If you're against them, you're with us. Let's go together. And he does. He gets on a horse and they ride off. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and it's such a triumphant moment because, like, in their darkest hour, they succeed. Mm. Now, granted, they do lose all the gold horses, which end up running in the opposite direction. But this is true. Luckily for them, the two peasants happen to come across the horses. Just in time for the, and I'm guessing it wasn't her guards, but... I imagine it's like the Hayakawa ones. Yes, that's my guess. It's the Hayakawa guards. Because I'm guessing they successfully got out of Yamana. Like, I I feel like that's an accurate assumption to have. And the horses arrived there. They were being chased by the Yamana. (laughs) Right. So they show up just in time to take the horses away from the peasants and arrest them because the assumption is they stole the gold. Yeah. (laughs) And while they're locked up thinking they're dead, they're pulled out to be presented in front of royalty for their final, uh, like, sentence. Mm. Uh, This is something that happens in Rashomon. Uh, where Mafone is yeah. tied up and and he's sitting waiting for judgment and they're supposed he's supposed to plead his yeah. case. It's just like that, but in here they're just they're they're bowing, they're waiting for their judgment because they know there's no way they can get out of this. They're not smart enough. And then it's revealed to them that the mute girl was the princess. Uh, Mafone is the lead general in his samurai armor. And the opposing general is now a part of her cabinet, a part of her parliament. I I, I don't know what he would classify as, but he is sitting among them in the room. Yeah. (laughs) Much like the ending of Star Wars with the ceremony with the, the, uh, the medals, this time the three of them walk to the peasants and say, for your trouble, here's payment. Yeah, and they gave him. They give him uh, one Rio coin, and then the two peasants go on their way. They're told to split it, and it ends with them agreeing that one of them can have it, and that's that. And yeah, with that, the movie concludes. So, the Hidden Fortress was the fourth highest-grossing film in Japan for 1958. Um, it did really well. It just didn't do critically well. Hmm. Um, but it was the highest grossing of Toho's filmography that year, from what mm-hmm. I understand. I mean, considering their kaiju output this year was Varen, like I'm not surprised. <laughs> that that's true. That it, that yeah, that is true. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> they did have they did. Was it H Man that came out in '58? Yes, yes. Yeah. H Man also came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how well H-Man did, to be fair, so. <laughs> True. So, it's weird to, like, I, I it's weird because at this point we would, like, compare it to other films and whatnot, but we did that at the beginning, and it's mm. not it's not Tokusatsu, so. It's, it's kind of hard for us to compare it to when, uh, you know, this podcast doesn't have many 
points of reference for it and you know our points of reference are only other kurosawa films essentially so i don't think right side of this you and i aren't terribly familiar with the samurai genre bar kurosawa and like a couple other films perhaps right absolutely i haven't even seen like the american stuff like kill bill like i i I'm I so I'm so disconnected. Hey, Sony Chiba's I don't. In it. This is true. We love Sony Chiba. Yes, and and there's a bunch, and there's like props from the Millennium Godzilla movies and Final Wars actors in it. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so I really the only thing I can do is I mean I can I can spout out my cast and crew facts to link it to Tokusatsu if you wanted me to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Most. Most. Of my. Uh, there's a couple other things I want to mention, but I think. I think that it'd be better if I leave those for cast and crew for like. Okay. When you're talking about that. Okay. So, I'm just gonna go through this. Uh. So Akira Kurosawa did direct it. Yes. Uh, he also wrote Shocking. and produced it. Yeah. He has. He didn't do any tokusatsu or kaiju stuff. Kurosawa was very established in in his filmography, mm-hmm. um, but he was he was friends with Ishiro uh, Honda, claimed Tokusatsu director Ishiro Honda, and mm-hmm. Honda did was an assistant director on some of Kurosawa's films, especially his later ones. Yeah, I mean, um, interestingly enough, something that surprised me was that one of the assistant directors on this film, Hidden Fortress was a Shiro Honda student. Do you know who I'm Which, referring to? Uh, would this be... Yoshimitsu Bano. Really? Yeah, the director of Godzilla vs. Hedora. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Meanwhile, some of the other assistant directors were like... One was a producer on Dogura. Uh, one was made a minor acting appearance in Godzilla Raids again, and the other was an assistant director on Three Treasures. It's funny you bring up Three Treasures. Um, oh, there's a few connections to Three Treasures, yes. I noticed. <laughs> so the Three Treasures, for anybody who doesn't know, it's also known as The Birth of Japan. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the Showa movie version of Orochi the Eight-Headed Dragon, or uh, Yamata Takaru. Well, from what I understand, it's it's it isn't it an anthology film of three stories? One of them being the story of Yamato Takeru. I think so. I'm not yeah. sure. I haven't seen it. All More I know I. is it's that's, it's it, that's just the impression I'm under. It's a three hour movie. Yeah, very and long, very long. In the movie, it has Toshiro Mifune, who was in this film, yeah, Three Treasures, uh, the Subaraya Honda film Eagle of, of the Pacific. He was also in The Lost World of Sinbad, a tokusatsu movie from the mid-60s. Which and I think also, was... You, the, I think the sets of that... or It was either that or another Mifune movie were reused for the Antlar episode of Ultraman. I think you're right. I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure it was Lost World of Sinbad. Pretty mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, 1941, as a just a fun reference, 1941 was directed by Steven Spielberg, who... You know, amazing film uh, d- film director. He plays the Japanese commander in that. It's a comedy about World War Two, mm-hmm. not the most politically correct film. Oh, is that a film that Mifune was in? Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I was confused what we were talking about <laughs> when yeah. we went to that. <laughs> um, 
And then Mifune also was in Princess from the Moon, uh, which is a 1980s Toho Tokusatsu film. Yeah. And he also appeared in Shogun Samurai, which uh, the director of Shogun Samurai also directed The Green Slime, Virus, uh, Battle oh, Royale. Is this Kenji Futsaka? Yes. Yep, who yep, also yep. directed Message from Space and Legend of the Eight Samurai. Mm. Um, we also have, uh, from at least uh, The Three Treasures, Takashi Shimura, who was yeah. in Godzilla, Godzilla Raids Again, Three Treasures, Mothra, Gorath, Dogura. the God Whale, the Dogura, uh, the Lost World of Simbad Again, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Quidon, Frankenstein versus Baragon, Prophecies of Nostradamus, in Bullet Train, which had Sonny Chiba. The princess, Misa, uh, I don't know how you say her, was in The Three Treasures. Yeah. Um, Yoshio Tsuchiya, I butchered his name, he had a small role in, in uh, The Hidden Fortress, and he was in a plethora of Kaiju Ega from the 1960s and Toho films. Often playing, like, sort of like the extraterrestrial villains, mm-hmm. like... Uh, the Exilian leader, or well, not necessarily extraterrestrial. He he played um, the human vapor, and was he the Talesian or was he the H man? Yes, I think he was the Talesian. I was okay. going to bring that up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the screenplay was uh, four people did the screenplay. Obviously, Kurosawa. Then you had Ryuzu Kikushima, who did the Birth of Japan and was a Kurosawa regular. Hideo Ugumi, who did Warning from Space yeah. and was a Kurosawa regular, uh, and Shinobu Hashimoto, who did Submersion of Japan and was mm-hmm. a Kurosawa regular. He also did uh, Ishiro Honda's first film, Eagle of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. That wasn't Honda's first film, but that was... Well, it, well the film... Sorry, I didn't write first on the notes, sorry. <laughs> I read that wrong. Oh, well. Ah, I was like, mm, <laughs> I, I, I misread my own note. <laughs> ah. Um, but another, int- a few other actors that didn't appear in The Three Treasures, but you had Minoru uh, Chaki. Chaya. Ch- Chakai, who was. Chiaki. Chiaki, who was Tai. Ta- Ta- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he played Tai. Uh, he was in Godzilla Raids again. He played Kobayashi. Kobayashi, the pilot. And yeah. he was... Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, Kamateri Fujiwara, who was a Kurosawa regular. He played the other peasants. He plays Matashichi. Mm-hmm. And then you had Susuma Fujita, who was in The Mysterians, Atragon, Dogura, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Frankenstein vs. Baragon, Ultra Q, Ultra 7, Ultra Man and made appearances in the two compilation Ultraman movies, Ultraman and then Ultraman the Great Decisive Battle. Yeah, and something interesting about um, Susumu Fujita, he plays Tadakoro in this. Um, He was actually not supposed to be cast as Tadakoro. Really? Yeah, so he was actually cast as a substitute for the original actor. So... The original actor was Koshiro Matsumoto 9, um, but he could not appear due to uh, changes in the shooting schedule for Hidden Fortress. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Kurosawa shot this film at a, to Toho's frustration, a 
rather slow pace and, you know, didn't help with the delay from weather conditions. Mm -hmm. But an interesting connection to one of our previous films that we covered is that Koshiro Matsumoto 9 is the father to Koshiro Matsumoto 10 or Koshiro Matsumoto X, who was the lead actor in Ashura. Really? Yes. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I was surprised by that connection and thought that was too interesting not to bring up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Another slight connection to some past films we've covered, Shinji Higuchi actually remade Hidden Fortress in 2008. Yeah, I, yeah Hidden Fortress, The Last Princess. I was really surprised mm-hmm. to discover that existed. I just discovered it, I, I think, on a whim a few weeks ago. <laughs> huh. Which Shinji Higuchi uh, directed Shin Ultraman. Um, and I, I did some looking into that film, and the princess was played by Masami Nakisawa. Nagisawa. And who was. And, oh, yep, you go first. I was just going to say who was one of the Shobajin for Godzilla Tokyo SOS and Godzilla Final Wars, and I know who you're going to bring up next, so go ahead. Um, Nagisawa also played Asami in Shin Ultraman. Um, there we go. But yes. Uh, Rocket, our favorite Toshiro Mifune played character in the original Hidden Fortress. Rokuruda is in the Shinji Higuchi remake, played by Hiroshi Abe, who is the cutting. Was he Katagiri? Yeah, he yes. was Katagiri yes. in Godzilla 2000, and is a very, I would say, prolific Japanese actor in the modern day. I'd say. I would agree to that. Yes. He's in a lot of dramas, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of connections. And the last one I'm going to make here, and then I'm out of cast and crew, is the score for this is done by Masaru Sato. Yes. Who did the score for Godzilla films, such as Godzilla Raids Again, Ebro Ebra, Deep, and Sonic Godzilla. And Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. He, he also was a Kurosawa did, regular. Yes, he was a Kurosawa regular. He also did the H-Man in Submersion of Japan. Hmm. So, this film, I, think he I was, mean... Wasn't he Kurosawa's main director, although... Or, not director, sorry, um, composer. Yes, because Honda, the one time Honda worked, which was on uh, The Great Duel, mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called, Um, the one time... Kurosawa worked with... Uh, Ifakube? Ifakube. I don't know why I said Honda. <laughs> yeah, I was confused uh, by Honda. Because I know Ifakube worked on at least one of Kurosawa's films. Yes, he did. But the reason he never did following that is Kurosawa did not like how Ifakube was very adamant on his own music. Hmm. <laughs> the Quiet Duel. It's The Quiet Duel. Okay. Not The Grin. Ah, yep, yep. So, and that was before anything else uh, that Kurosawa had directed. So it was really early on in his career. Yeah. Did you have any other fun facts? Was that his first film with Mifune or? Uh, I don't know. Because I'm pretty sure Mifune is in that film. He is. And Quiet Duel was like, what, late 30s, early 40s, wasn't it? It's 1949. Oh, Oh, I'm I'm off then. <laughs> yeah, was off it was the still on that one. <laughs> it was still early. Uh, 
I mean, Kurosawa started directing in 43, so that was still very early in his career. Yeah, it was like 50-year-long career, essentially. Yeah, he directed from 1943 all the way to 1993, so that's 50 years, five yeah. decades. Five decades? Yeah. 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah, yeah, 70s, yeah. 80s, yep. Five decades long. Yeah, I think 50 years is five decades, I don't know. You're yeah. Gonna have to, you're going to have to do the division for me. Look, man. <laughs> so, did you have any other factoids you wanted to bring up, Rex? Um, or have we covered... Not too much. Uh, something interesting that I did discover during my research was that as of... Yeah, so currently in the works is actually a stage play adaptation of The Hidden Fortress... That is scheduled to be performed in Japan from July and to August of this year. Really? Yeah. Huh. I didn't see any connections to any other, like, Godzilla or Tokusatsu um, uh, cast members in in my brief research on that stage play, but I thought it was interesting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Interesting. It helped that I... Read this right after learning about the the Ashura connection with <laughs> Koshiro <see>. Matsumoto. <laughs> I see. That may or may not have partially influenced my writing of a note. <laughs> so, I mean, if I feel like we've covered as much as we really can, um, yeah. I mean, probably should have said a while. Yeah, I, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but we are not cinephiles. Um. We love Kaiju Tokusatsu, so that's why we cover that stuff on here. Uh, Hidden Fortress is out of our comfort zone, but we wanted to cover it because of Star Wars Month, and it is Kurosawa, which yeah. is pretty dang close to, to Kaiju and Tokusatsu it's, it's because like, of it's the crossover. basically like the closest thing you can get to Tokusatsu that isn't Tokusatsu. Mm-hmm. In the realm of Japanese cinema, there's like there are so many like links and connections with Kurosawa. Can you really call yourself like a kaiju or a podcast about like Japanese cinema and not at least talk a little bit about Kurosawa? You know, right? No, absolutely, I agree. And, and like to that, I'll say this: I don't know if we will cover more Kurosawa. Maybe. Um. Maybe it all depends on how how the cards fall. Like yeah. Star Wars month happened, Hidden Fortress worked. Um, I've heard Redbeard. I haven't seen Redbeard. I've heard Redbeard is like Kurosawa's proto J horror film. Ooh. Um, I want to watch it because of that. Now you've got me interested. Yeah, it's like <laughs> early. It's like Showa Japanese horror. It's the closest to horror that. Uh, Kurosawa ever got. Um, I've heard stuff about Kagemusha and Dreams that those are pretty, like, those are close to Tokusatsu with their I mean, visceral. Dreams, Dreams had Honda as assistant director, too, so there's another link <laughs> with that right. one. So, I mean, this all this to say Kurosawa may, may return, may not return. We'll see. Um, I mean, in our King Kong vs. Godzilla episode, we talked about Redbeard greatly because that was one of Toho's big films for that year. So, oh, that's 
Maybe what? Maybe there's What's yeah. That? Redbeard was sixty three. I don't remember that episode too well, man. Oh okay. wait, it says high and low. Wait, Redbeard sixty five. I do remember Wait. us talking about a Kurosawa film. It may not have been Redbeard. I I don't remember which one. But it was... Was it San, Sanjiro? It no. might have been. It was around the time of King Kong versus Godzilla. We because... talked about something, man. It was This was like a year or so ago. So if you want to go back and sh- listen to that episode yeah, where we talked about... Tell us, yeah. please. Give us a view um, and then tell us. Give us that audience engagement, yeah. okay? Um, so with that, I I'm guess being serious. we can... I'm not sarcastic here. Do it. This is right true. Now. Go for it. So with that, though, I feel like we can go ahead and wrap things up before we overstay our welcome too long. Yeah. Um, I, I've enjoyed covering this Kurosawa film. I would love it if we could do Yojimbo. Maybe, maybe in the future we can do a Kurosawa month. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. It it like I said, it all depends what the what falls in the cards. Mm. <laughs> but with that, we can go ahead and wrap things up here with people finding out how they can find us. So Rex, why don't you go ahead and let the people know at home how they can find you? Ah, oh, well, dear dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram. Rex underscore Zeta. And if you want to check out some of my writings, go take a peek at the Tokusatsu Network. Definitely do that. And as mentioned, all of the links can be found in the description show notes below. As for me, I'm Elijah. You can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions, on Instagram at ET13Productions, on YouTube at ET13Productions. Um, if you want to find my personal socials, I'm not going to tell you, but it's pretty easy to. You're just going to know where to look. You got to be Toshiro Mafone. <laughs> you got to be. You got to be smart. Yes. You can also find my writings on GodzillaMovies.com. I don't really write there much anymore, but if you want to find my most recent works, definitely check out KaijuRamenMedia.com. I've posted articles on the website, and I am the product manager, the production manager for each issue of the magazine, along with a writer or interviewer for each issue. Uh, definitely check those out. There's a lot of great work. And, I mean, by the time this comes out, All Monsters Attacks is like two days away from now. So I'm going to be prepping to go to Chicago. But definitely, if, you, if you're listening to this before you go and you want to, you know, if you want to see me, if you want to take a photo, I don't know why you would. One dude did last year at G-Fest. <laughs> um, shout out hey, to him. him. Yeah. Uh, he he got to I see my face before a, everyone else. Or, uh, someone, somebody, you, you guys got to get a photo of me at G-Fest this year, I swear. Mm, I wish. <laughs> one day, Rex, one day we'll meet in person. Yeah. Man. That day will be glorious. Man. I want to go to the G-Fest. Do it next year. I'll go. <laughs> um, But if you want to say hi, I'll be at the Kaiju Ramen media table helping them out. As for the podcast, if you want to help us, don't forget to rate us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We have been review bombed, so we're sitting at a 3.1. If we could get more five stars, that would be greatly appreciated. 
If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. Kind of. That's a lie. It is a I use a MacBook lie. to do this. Pro- yeah, I use a MacBook to do this podcast. So, yeah. But you can rate us on Spotify now. That's a new feature on the mobile app if you want to uh, leave a review that way. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of other people that have similar interests to you. It looks like recently the conversation that was had in the server was the upcoming Shin Kamen Rider uh, theatrical showings, which hopefully I'll be able to get to see and maybe Rex can. Please, God. Let me see that damn movie. (laughs) it's a great community full of great people don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel (laughs) he really wants to see that movie please god i want to see it i watched the whole goddamn show (laughs) in preparation man (laughs) don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video Sometimes we post exclusives to the channel, like bloopers for episodes or minisodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kuchewski on the channel. I probably butchered his name, and I apologize. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. Like I said, his links can be found in the description below. Definitely check him out. Along with Rex... We'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeMana of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at GiantMonsterBS or on any podcasting platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Stay tuned for the rest of Star Wars Month, as you will get to listen and hear us talk about the true Star Wars movies of the franchise. Yeah, yeah the real ones. The, the yes, real ones. The real ones. Not, not those damn original trilogy special edition things. That no, George the originals. The the OGs, real. as the kids say. Real. The OGs. Yeah. <laughs> this is where they all close, so I'm just going to wrap things up here. And thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Not too big now, baby. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby.
we love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.